In the holy name of Jesus, amen. St. Paul is a pastor of pastors, and he always is keeping tabs on all of the churches that he has planted throughout the Roman world, and that is what we, where we get our letter from today that we've just read. He is writing epistles to the churches that he's planted in Macedonia, in Greece, in Asia Minor, and today in Corinth, because he's coming for a visit. Paul has had a sordid history with the Corinthians. It hasn't always been pleasant because they're a bunch of disobedient, divisive, greedy, selfish, and adulterous people. And to top it all off, they're proud. Proud of their spirituality. Proud that they speak in tongues and have wisdom and that they have a lively congregation. And Paul is writing to them to give them a chance to repent. It isn't that it's bad to have a lively spirituality, to speak in tongues, to have wisdom and vigor, but to use these things to brush over a sinful and backbiting and greedy and even openly adulterous life in the church is an embarrassment to Christian faith. Paul is calling on them to turn from their fruitless former ways to serve the living God who has redeemed them from these things. Now, Paul's words can be sharp in these epistles that he writes to Corinth. He does not hide God's truth under sort of a veneer of civility or even false modesty. But Paul is also not merely a perfectionist. He's not just trying to get the Corinthians to behave either for their own pride or for his pride as their kind of pastor. He desires that they bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And that's an important idea, fruit in keeping with repentance, that repentance is fruitful. Here we are in the season of repentance, and it's worth reminding ourselves that repentance is not just uh, negative. It's not just turning away from things. Repentance also is turning to someone, turning to Christ. And repentance also is a life-giving thing. It's like my dad who prunes his apple orchard mercilessly every year so that its fruit may abound, so that it may be a fruitful orchard. And that is what Paul is after when he talks to the Corinthians. Fruit. He is after new life, new growth, new virtue in them. And specifically, he wants the Corinthians to give You see, the saints down the road in Jerusalem, well, down the road and on the boat, I guess, uh, in Jerusalem, are stricken by famine. He wants the Corinthians to give of themselves for the good of those in Jerusalem. He wants to take offerings from Corinth down the road to Jerusalem. So he writes to prepare them for his coming and for his taking. I was reminded of, Jesus says he comes as a thief in the night, right? Um, Paul comes as a thief in broad daylight, announces his coming and says, I'm going to come to take your money and give it to the people in Jerusalem. God loves a cheerful giver, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things that you always brag about, he says, you may abound in every good work. Now, in our gospel reading today, Mary is a cheerful giver. 
She takes a pound of fragrant ointment, which uh, Judas tells us is over 300 denarii, which is, over, which is almost a year's wages. So if you figure like the median income in our city is somewhere between 30 and 40,000, it's you know, at least a $35,000 thing. <laughs> Perfume. Anybody have something like that? Uh, that's a lot. That's a year's wages. And she anoints Jesus' feet with it. But she has done it for Jesus, which means no matter how wasteful it might be, it was not wasteful. It was not wasted. Even Judas's comment, uh, disingenuous as it was, but his comment that it could be instead given to the poor is rebuked by Jesus. He says, the poor you have with you always, but you do not always have me. Now, Jesus praises Mary, in part because she's generous. But also imagine the freedom of Mary. Judas, of course, is the opposite of free. Though he holds the money bag and he helps himself to it at will, he is more constrained than he realizes. And this becomes clear to someone when, say, you're contemplating a move. You realize you have all this stuff, and you realize that your stuff is a burden to you. That you have accumulated all of these things that you need. You need chairs and tables and beds and all these things, but they are a burden to you. Right? Your possessions actually weigh you down. They bind you, uh, and they give you more to worry about, more to care for, and should that ever day come, ever, should that day ever come, more to move around. And money actually is the same way. Of course, these days it's all liquid. It's all in a bank somewhere. And allegedly you have access to it wherever you might be. Uh, but it is still a burden, right? It weighs on you. It makes you wonder if you have enough or how much is enough. Or it makes you wonder uh, where you'll use it. Even, even something like money is still a possession and still a burden it occupies our thoughts and our worries and our hopes. And so imagine the freedom of Mary. This is a year's wages that she no longer has to worry about. <laughs> she no longer has to bear that weight of that money. She has given it to Jesus, invested, it says, Jesus says, in his burial. And that's a pretty good place to invest your money in the burial of Jesus. And now, she is free. In her giving, her faithful giving, inspired by Jesus' faithfulness to her, she has received something that the world and all the money in the world cannot buy her, cannot give. It's given her peace. Jesus encourages her giving, as foolish as it might seem, not because it's just a nice gesture, because it is a proclamation of his burial, he says, and thereby his holy death and resurrection for our salvation. And so it is worth an extravagant price. We too should put everything into proclaiming the burial of Jesus, his death for our salvation. And like Mary, in that proclamation, we will know his peace. In this way, we show the world. In this way, we show our own children. 
In this way, we show our neighbors and even ourselves that Jesus' death and burial is honestly all that will will end up mattering in the end. It's all that will be worth anything. It's all that will endure. By this, we confess that our God, crucified and risen, has already given us all things. He is the guarantor of all of our pledges. We live in the freedom of Mary. She did not lose the money that she spilt on Jesus' feet. She invested it. And she invested it actually in the only thing that will endure, the death and burial of our Lord Jesus for our salvation. St. Paul then takes this idea and he lays it before the Corinthians, the very same investment strategy. He says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us, that is by Paul and his people taking what is theirs and giving it to the Jerusalemites, will produce thanksgiving to God. See how the Corinthians' offering will make its way actually through the It kind of goes through Jerusalem, ultimately to God himself, to thanksgiving to God. And this is simply because the Corinthians, like Mary before them, will be proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus by their offering, by their giving, because it is a sacrifice. In their offerings, they lay themselves down for the sake of their poorer brothers down in Jerusalem. And Paul continues, by their approval of this service, that is when the Jerusalem people approve of the Corinthian service to them, they will glorify the Corinthians. No, it doesn't say that. They will glorify God because of your submission following from your confession of the gospel. So see, it's this perfect circle that works its way out from and back to the precious gospel of Jesus. So others, in and outside of the church today, will recognize the source and the goal of our offerings because they don't actually come from us. They begin and end in the gospel of Jesus, that he, in his death for you, has graciously given you all things. You have the freedom of Mary, who, sacrificed for the sake of anointing the body of Jesus and received that body again, risen from the dead, out of the grave, to live and reign forever. And so it is with all of your giving. And also like all of the sacrifices that you make on behalf of your family, your friends, your children, your church. And also true of all of the repentance, the repenting of your sins, the ways in which you turn from those things to serve the living God. Fear not. None of this is in vain. And it was never really yours to begin with. Not your time, not your blood, sweat, tears, none of it. And also, fear not. For you, like Mary, will receive it back again. You will receive it back again, risen again. So remember during Lent, during times of repentance and giving things up, and also just in terms of regular life, living in the world, in times of challenge, 
times of temptation, times of testing. Remember that nothing is given to Jesus to be lost. Nothing that you give to Jesus in prayer, nothing that you give to Jesus in confession, nothing that you give to Jesus in offerings and sacrifices, nothing that you give to Jesus is ever lost. It is only resurrected, glorified, and eternal. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.